these old skinny jeans, you always have to pull them down when you get up. And I'm skinny. Hey, man, glad you guys came back tonight. We're going to have a good time. Anybody happy in the house? Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. This evening, as, as we progress, it's going to be a little different flow than this morning's service. But, you know, every service has its de- divine design, so to speak. And God knows what we need. This is a faith conference and uh, uh, just endeavoring to um, recharge us, encourage us, right? Get our faith pumped up. So we're going to have a good time tonight in the presence of God. Uh, my prayer is, you know, that you'll go out with joy and be led forth with peace. About every three years or so, we... We, you know, it just seems good to me and the Holy Ghost have a little tune-up on your joy, you know. So if you've, you've never heard us, then it might be some of it new. Uh, if you've been in our services, uh, you might have some, some review of things you're familiar with, but it's always good to, to hear it again. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, uh, 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul writing, he said, you know, I fought a good fight. I finished the race, or I kept, uh, finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Man, that's such a powerful testimony, isn't it, from the Apostle Paul, knowing that as he came to the culmination of his life and ministry, that he had fought well that he faced the challenges of life and ministry, and that he finished what God had called him to do. That's a great testimony. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, And let us run with patience, with perseverance, with determination, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds, or grow weary in your souls, as one translation says. So, you know, each of us, like the Apostle Paul, like the Lord Jesus Christ, each of us have a race to run. We've got a course to finish. And I believe it would be God's divine intention that each of us run the race uh, and just as Jesus and Paul did, that we finish the course. But you know, equally important, friends, is not just finishing, but it's finishing with joy. Everybody say, with joy. You know, everyone in life can be tempted to grow weary with the journey, you know? to become disillusioned perhaps at times, maybe when things that you had anticipated didn't quite turn out like you thought they would. Or maybe things didn't progress as rapidly as you thought they were would. All of us can lose sight of the goal. The reality is this life has resistance. There are difficult people, there are difficult situations, there are difficult circumstances, there are you know, physical, emotional ch- uh, challenges, uh, financial challenges at times. Uh, the Apostle Paul had all of these things that we dealt with or deal with. He dealt with them likewise. But I love his attitude. You know, he had such an amazing predisposition in life. Have you ever read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 8 through 9, notice Paul's uh, comments. His, his perspective, his response to life's challenges were amazingly positive. He said, you know, we're troubled on every side. How many of you know most often trouble comes with company? You ever realize that in life? You know, not just one thing, but several things tend to culminate simultaneously. I call it the devil's pile-up technique trying to get you discouraged, you know. Paul said, you know what? We're troubled on every side, but now I want you to notice his mentality. I want you to notice his attitude, yet not distressed. He said, I'm not going to allow these temporary external challenges and situations and frustrations to rob me of my internal sense of peace and joy and purpose, right? And then he went on to say, perplexed, 
How many of you know what perplexed means by definition? Anyone? Confused. It's okay to say that. Paul said, you know, listen, life can be really perplexing. It can be confusing at times. He said, look, I don't always understand why every situation unfolds the way it does. I don't always understand why people respond and behave the way they do. But just because situations can be a little perplexing and it's a little confusing at uh, at times doesn't mean I'm going to adopt this attitude of futility. Why try? What's it all worth? Why serve God? Throw in the towel and quit. He said, no, perplexed. What's the next word? But not in despair. He goes on to say persecuted. And we don't know a lot about that yet here in this country, but it's on the way. But there's a lot of countries, man, they give their lives for the gospel. They're, they're, uh, I mean, you know, Gary and Connie, they've been over in China where there's a lot of persecution. And Paul had that. He said persecuted, what's the next word? But not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I think some Christians need a but revelation. And I'm not talking about the part you're sitting on. I'm talking about the conjunction, but. Amen. The psalmist said in Psalm 30 and 5, Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 34 and verse 19, the Bible says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And then, of course, we read this verse this morning or referenced it, John 16, 33. Jesus said, look, in this world, you're going to have some tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So turn to your neighbor and say, you need a butt revelation. So, you know, thinking about the Apostle Paul, you know, he penned the words of what we call the epistle of Philippians to the, to the Philippian church. It's also termed uh, the epistle of joy. And you know, the most interesting thing to realize is that when Paul wrote and penned the words to the book of Philippians, he was not in a five-star hotel with breakfast in bed. Paul was in a prison in Rome, which historians tell us was situated right below the central palace of Rome and just above the main holding area for all the sewage of the city. So here's the Apostle Paul, basically in a cave with a little light, uh, with a smell of stench and sewage all around, and it was in that environment that he penned the words to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. One translation, the Weymouth says, Always be glad in the Lord. Another translation says, All joy be yours at all times. Wow. That kind of brings things into a more clear view for you and I, doesn't it? It helps us realize that our focus in life, our perspective in life, our response to life and to the situations that we encounter and the people that we encounter can have tremendous impact on how we journey through this life and how we finish our course. I think sometimes we think if our circumstances were perfect, man, and our our situations were ideal, that somehow we'd be happy. But did you know that our circumstances and our situations in and of themselves do not have the capacity to dictate our internal peace and joy? But our response and our perspective and our focus do. Can you say amen? And it took me a long time to realize that because I'm somewhat of a perfectionist. And so, you know, perfectionists are used to picking out all the things that are wrong and negative. (laughs) So I had to to change. I'm glad to say I have. But going back to Philippians 4 and 4, notice, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, that's wonderful, Paul. That's a great admonition. 
But how in the world do I actualize that in my life? As a Christian, how does it become a reality? How can I rejoice in the Lord always? This world is crazy. There's so many things going on. And you're telling me that I should rejoice in the Lord always. How's it possible? He said, well, I'll give you a few things that you can implement that will help that become a reality in your life right here in the same chapter. Now, the first thing he said we have to deal with is in verse 4. <clears throat> he said, be careful for nothing. Would you open that water for me, please? He said, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So he said the first thing now we're going to have to do is we're going to have to deal with this area of care. Be careful for nothing. Joy is going to be most fully realized in the life of a Christian. Are you listening tonight? Because joy is a friend of faith. Joy is going to be most fully realized in the life of a Christian who has learned, and it is a learning process, who has learned to live their life free from care. He did not say free from responsibility. He did not say free from the necessary activities and disciplines of life. He did not say free from difficult people and difficult situations. He said free from the care of them. Now, I like the Living Bible, and I'll just quote it to you. This same verse, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank Him for the answers. If you will do this, if you will do this, God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand, will keep your heart and your thoughts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful, man? And of course, you know the Amplified. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't have anxiety about anything. Now, you know something that's going to carry you in the months and years ahead? These simple little scriptures right here. They're foundational. You master this, you master much. Amen. So he said, don't fret. What's fret? Fretting comes from an old English word, uh, which actually has fretten, which actually has the connotation to devour like vultures would a carcass after maybe it's been run over or dead in the field. How do they do it? Bite by bite, piece by piece. And that is exactly what worry does to you. It eats away little by little at your sense of peace and joy and faith and confidence. Paul said, man, don't do it. <laughs> right? Why? Because it's destructive. It opens the door to fear and frustration and anxiety, and then they begin to eat away at your sense of internal peace and joy. So, fear enters how? Through the mind. Did you know that fear enters through the doorway of the mind? In your thoughts. That's where it starts. And so Satan will come and he'll paint on the canvas of your mind, man. Portraits of failure. Portraits of defeat. Portraits of the worst case scenario. Right? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? All with the intention of what? Bringing fear. And then when the fear enters, it begins to displace your sense of peace. And then when your peace is displayed, it affects your mind, it affects your body, it affects your sense of faith and confidence. Are you with me? So, Paul said, don't worry. Now, most Christians in church, they'll say, amen, don't worry, hallelujah. They don't even know what worry is. Do you know what worry actually is? Friends, worry is what we call meditating in a negative direction. Now, as a Christian, we advocate meditation because meditation means to reflect and rehearse. Reflect 
and rehearse. You're doing this in your mind. You're reflecting and rehearsing upon, in a positive sense as a believer, the Word of God. Right? We meditate on it day and night. It's like you've got this, this hot glass of, of water and you've got a tea bag. Let's say, man, you're dealing with fear, so you go get your scripture. What is it, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 1.7? Which one is it, 1st or 2nd? 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So you're dealing with fear. So what do you do? When you get up in the morning, you read that scripture, and you thank God for it. And what did you do? You just dipped your tea bag. Now, if you just dip a tea bag one time, very little flavor of the, or color of the tea is going to be absorbed. You've got to dip that thing over and over and over. So you take that scripture at lunchtime and you get it out and you read it again. Woo! God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want and I shall not fear. Are you with me? He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never relax his hold upon me. Assuredly not. So I can boldly and confidently say the Lord is my helper. Woo, I will not be seized with alarm. You're dipping your tea bag. Then at night before you go to bed, you get it out and read it again and thank God for it until all the power that is resident within that living Word of God is absorbed into your human spirit and manifests what it carries. That's meditation. Well, worry is doing that in the opposite and negative direction. Once again, constantly allowing your thoughts to reflect and rehearse upon the potential uncertainties of life. 99% of what you fear doesn't even happen. Are you listening? But he likes to keep that going. He wants you to dip that tea bag, and you're dipping it by reflecting on those negativities, but it's releasing the wrong substance. Instead of faith, what's it releasing? Fear. Fear. So we have to pay attention to what's going on. Paul said, listen, basically, if, if we had to sum up his theological revelation in a modern term, it would very simply be, don't worry, be happy. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, be happy. Amen. So, the amazing thing here, as you well know, is this, this verse and this entire epistle, it wasn't written by a man who was a stranger to adversity. I mean, if anyone had challenge in life, it was the Apostle Paul. The cumulative experiences of Paul's life and ministry and the challenges that he had, in one sense, the word, they're staggering. Uh, if you've never read his personal testimony, let me read it to you. It'll make you feel better about your life, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 28 Paul said, you know, I've worked harder, I've been jailed more often, I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times by the Jews, 39 lashes. I've been beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in an open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling, year in, year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storms. I've been betrayed by those that I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery, hard labor, many a long and lonely night uh, without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it, he said. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, and some of you pastors uh, can relate. But listen, none of us have experienced the totality of what the Apostle Paul experienced Right? And yet, you know, you think you've had a bad month or a bad year. Man, this guy went through it. But don't you love his attitude? Acts 20, 24. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul basically said, hey man, you know, I've learned to celebrate 
my Christian faith in the midst of the most extraordinarily difficult circumstances. How, Paul? He said, well, number one now, you're going to have to deal with this issue of care, worrying, and fretting. And then secondly, which is in connection, he said, you're going to have to learn to think properly. Think properly. Right here, verse 8, Philippians 4. Notice Paul said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what are you supposed to do? Think on these things. So basically, Paul said, look, I've learned to think properly. I've learned to focus my attention properly. Remember, we said that our focus, our attitude, and our response has a great uh, impact on how we journey through this life. And did you know what we focus our attention on has the greatest impact on our heart, our faith, our joy, our peace, our confidence? Right up here. So how many of you know the devil wants your attention? He absolutely wants your attention because he knows your attention is directly connected to your joy, your peace, your faith, and your confidence. So he's always vying for your attention. Man. Did you hear what they said on the news? Look at the bank account. Feel it. It's probably a tumor. You, you following me? What if this happens, man? What are you going to do? May I have your attention, please? Right? That's what he says. So you and I have to, we've got to pay attention and not give him our attention. You've got to put up your hand. Kind of like they say, hey, man, talk to the hand. You may not have my attention. The reality is, you and I will never walk in peace. We'll never walk in joy consistently in this life with an undisciplined mind. An undisciplined mind is like an undisciplined child. Unruly, bad habits, no boundaries, headed for trouble. So people say, well, man, I can't control my thoughts. Really? Well, what if I had a helmet that I could put on your head? And while I was preaching tonight, uh, that helmet would project all your thoughts right up here on this screen for everybody in the auditorium to see. <laughs> I wonder if you could control your thoughts. Oh, I'll bet you could. Now, it takes a little practice, takes a little determination, takes some discipline, but we can do it. And if we're going to walk in joy, and that's what I'm talking about, and walk in peace, there's going to have to be some discipline in the thought life. So Paul said, I've learned to focus my attention properly. Well, Paul, good for you. You know, uh, what do you think about? He said, well, I'll tell you now. When, when, when life gets challenging and situations begin to feel like they're imploding upon me, and they do, you know. He said, you know, I, instead of focusing on all the negativities and these whispers of fear, he said, I'll tell you what I do. I just start thinking about the fact that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I start thinking about the fact I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm ready for. I'm equal to. Anything that comes my way through Christ who infuses his inner strength in me. He said, I think about the fact that, man, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. When I walk through the water, he'll be with me. And through the rivers of adversity, they will not overtake me. When I go through the fire, I'll not be burned. Neither will the flame kindle upon me. I think about the fact, man, that he's made me more than a conqueror, that he always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus, and that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, that's what I think about. And because I think on those things, I'm able to maintain with all hell breaking loose externally an internal sense of confidence and peace and joy. Are you following me tonight? Amen. So he said, I pay attention to what's going on in my head. And he said, I'll tell you something else I think about. And you know what it'll do good if you think about this too. He said, I think a lot about heaven, the coming of Christ, 
and my eternal reward. People say, well, you shouldn't have an, uh, an escape mentality. Let me tell you something. I don't have an escape mentality, but I am certainly looking forward to leaving this world behind and going to be with Jesus. I mean, there's nothing that I want more than that. I mean, ever since I was seven years old and I was born again, a Baptist little seven-year-old boy, I used to jump up and down. I'd say, Mom and Dad, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus came today? And you know what? I still feel that way. Every day I open my eyes, I've got an anticipation. And you know what that does? It gives you hope. It gives you a sense of joy. It gives you a sense of peace knowing, hey, man, this, this life is temporal. And everything that goes with it. And that's the way the Apostle Paul lived his life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, he said, The Lord himself, man, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Not frighten one another. Comfort one another. Does anybody in this house find that comforting? <laughs> We're getting out of here. Woohoo! <laughs> and we want to take as many people as we can with us. Paul said, I'm living my life with an eternal perspective, man. He said, I realize any sorrow, persecution, uh, you know, challenge, disappointment that I may face in this life is in reality light and momentary in comparison to the eternal blessedness that is awaiting us on the other side. And he said, I'm very cognizant of the reality that I'm running a race and I'm looking for the finish line. And when I get there, as we read, there'll be a reward. And you know, the same is true for all of us. That's good news, isn't it? So basically, I'm just giving you some information you can take home with you. We're going to get happy in this place if I have to get happy by myself. But I just want to give you something to take home with you tonight so you'll remember it. And you can what? Not just have a happy service, but you can have a happy life, a joyful and peaceful life. So let me give you some practical application, and then we're going to get to the good part. Uh, Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Just as good practical application. Psalm 511, and I know this is review for many of you. But notice, let all those that rejoice or put their, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. I'm, I'm kind of going from the old King James to the new King James, trying to. And even that little bit messes you up because you're used to quoting in the old King James. But anyway, let all those that put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy uh, because you defend them. Let them also that love your name be what? Be what? Be joyful in you. Notice it doesn't say be sad, be depressed, be down, right? Be joyful in you. Let me give you another one. Psalm 32 and verse 11. Be sad in the Lord. Is that what it says? Gripe and complain and murmur. <laughs> That's the way some of us read it sometimes, but no. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. Let me give you one more to substantiate my case. Psalm 35 and 27. Let them shout for joy and what? Be glad. Three verses, there's multitudes, but I think that we can easily see. Be joyful. Be glad. Rejoice. Does that sound like a suggestion? No, it is a command verb. Be. Righteous ones. Children of God, man. Born of the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Heaven's your home. Be glad. Rejoice. Be joyful. Well, if it is a command then guess what? It's a choice. Now, now, just bear with me. It's a choice. And more specifically, it is a matter of focus. Everybody say focus. Now, every person in this room, and you've heard this before, but it bears repeating, every person in this room 
from the time you lay your head down at night, excuse me, uh, uh, to the, from the time you open your eyes in the morning till the time you lay your head down at night, you have taking place, and so do I, on the inside of us, what psychologists call and we refer to as self-talk. You ever heard that terminology? Internal conversation. It isn't audible, but it's going on. Now, the key is to direct that upward. But we do have this internal conversation going on. You talk to yourself all day long, whether you realize it or not. You talk to yourself about your husband. You talk to yourself about your wife, your kids, your job, your coworkers, uh, what you have, what you don't have, what we wish we had. I mean, this internal conversation, man, is going on all day long. And unfortunately, for many people, this internal conversation is very negative in content. Everything that is wrong with my life, my environment, my job, my relationships. It's like this, you know. Uh, they, we used to say uh, record playing. Well, those are coming back, aren't they? But now you'd have to say an MP3 or a CD, you know. Uh, playing on the inside is like a little song. And so, you know, the alarm clock goes off in the morning, uh, and it's time to get up, and then track one begins. And for, for many people, their little song sounds like this. Oh, God. I don't want to get up. Man. My husband's not treating me well. My wife's not treating me well. Kids are a mess. They're rebellious. I don't have anything to wear. My hair looks like last year's bird's nest. I don't like my coworkers. They get on my nerves. Can you believe what she said to me? Or he did to me? Man. Negative, negative, negative. And what people don't realize is this negative internal conversation is producing a mentality. And the highest form of, men, of, of human captivity is a wrong mentality. I said the highest form of human captivity is a wrong mentality. And then this negative mentality, what, what does it do? It impacts the emotions, the joy, the peace, the contentment in life. And then those negative emotions, what do they do? They start impacting the physiological body because they're all connected, right? So what we've got to do, friends, and I learned to do this because I'm a perfectionist by nature like I told you. I was born, I mean, I know what I'm talking about because I, I was just born super perfectionistic. I mean, I know this is silly, but I'd play with my trucks and stuff out in the dirt and stuff. I'd bring them in, wash them, and put them back on the shelf. I bordered on maniac. Before I was married, man, I wanted all my shirts. They have to hang precisely on the same type of hangers in a row, nicely done. All the underwear, the, the, the socks, everything nicely uh, in the drawers. I, I mean, there can't be any weeds in the flower beds. Uh, the cars must be immaculate. I would mop and vacuum my garage. And I still do some of those things. But listen... Can I tell you something? After a wife, a mother-in-law, two kids, a cat, and a dog, forget it. <laughs> Life is not perfect. And it's not going to be down here. So you know what I decided to do so I could be happy? I said, you know what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to change tracks. I'm going to sing a different song. <laughs> and you know you can choose to do that. Woo! And so in the morning, instead of when the alarm goes off, oh God, say, Woo! This is the day the Lord has made, man. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad in it. Everything I set my hand to today is going to prosper. Thank you, Jesus. You say, Brother Marty, do you feel like that when you get up in the mornings? No. You don't always feel joyful, friends. I was kind of like that guy, man. I had a cup of coffee. You, you've ever seen those mugs? The top line, they have three lines and three words. The top of it, when it's full, it says, shh. Then the next one says, almost. Then when it finally gets to the bottom, you finished your cup of coffee, now you may speak. <laughs> you know any people like that? 
But anyway, you got to change tracks, man. You got to sing a different song. You say, well, Brother Marty, do you feel like it? No, but I learned a secret. I'll never be able to feel my way into acting differently. I said, I'll never be able to feel my way into acting differently. But I can act absolutely act my way into feeling differently. People say, well, I, I don't feel happy. I don't feel like I want to go to work. I don't feel like I want to go to church. Man, I, I don't feel like lifting my hands and shouting praise the Lord. Thank you, worship leader. But no, I'm real. I'm not going to put it on. I don't feel like it. Well, you're real. And I don't mean to put you down, but real carnal. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says, put on the garment of praise for or in exchange for the spirit of heaviness. God knows actions more powerful than emotion. He said, if you'll put on the praise, it'll impact your emotions. Some, how many of you know sometimes your joy just settles to the bottom of the glass, man? It's like when you put, you know, chocolate, liquid chocolate in white milk, it goes to the bottom. You got to stir it up, right? Sometimes in life, man, you got to stir up your joy. God said, hey, I got some good spoons for you. What are they, Lord? He said, well, one of them, you can shout for joy. We just read it. Shout for joy. There's a shout because you got it. There's a shout sometimes just to get it. And I've told you the story, but for those of you who have never heard it, you might find it uh, a, a little funny. But anyway, talking about shouting. Because sometimes I'll go down to my man cave, man. Nobody down there but me and Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And I'll just shout. I feel like crying because of some pressures. But I just start shouting praises to God and magnifying Him. And you know that old heaviness will just lift. But anyway... We came, I used to, I was an associate pastor there at uh, Rama Bible Church, taught at school with some of these gentlemen and so forth for, for several, several years. And so we came in from uh, church service one night, my wife and I. And uh, when I walked in the door, man, immediately I had a, I had a burden, as we would call it in Pentecost, a, a burden or an unction to pray. You don't necessarily know what it is, but you know we've got to pray and we've got to pray now. Uh, and so... I said, honey, I, I need, we need to pray. So we went in the living room. We began to pray in the Spirit because that is where the Holy Spirit can take hold with us uh, uh, against this thing or in, in, in uh, praying it out. So we began to pray in other tongues. Uh, and we prayed 30, 45, 50 minutes, man, an hour. And then all of a sudden, we hit what you call a note of victory. Anybody familiar with that term, a note of victory? Sometimes when you're in intercessory prayer and you pray something out, even though it may be for someone halfway across the, the, the universe or the, the, the world, uh, when you get that answer or that, that need was met or that answer came or that deliverance came, you, you get what you call a note of victory. And man, you might dance, you might shout, you might sing. And all of a sudden, that, that note of victory hit me and my wife simultaneously. And man, I'm telling you, I started dancing and my wife was dancing and we were shouting right there in the living room. Woo, you know. Well, I had a little dog at that time. His name was Snickerdoodle. And, and Snickerdoodle was a little shih tzu. And he was just laying on the ottoman there just minding his business. And I don't know why in the world I did this, but I'm going, woo, like that. And I said, woo, and I touched Snickerdoodle. <laughs> God's my witness. That little dog, he jumped up from the ottoman. He started running around the kitchen table. I'm telling you the truth. I said, honey, look, the Holy Ghost is on that dog. <laughs> Whoa, somebody say shout for joy. You can leap for joy. You can sing for joy. Why? Because your mouth impacts your mind. So he said, why don't you sing for joy? You've had a long day at work. Get in the car. Sing along. Get up in the morning, get in the shower, get your happy song. I'm full of joy and I got the victory. I'm full of joy and I got the victory. I'm full of joy. Now that's about as far down as we fellas go, right? About, about to the knee. We let the runoff get the rest, right boys? But you start, <laughs> you start singing a happy song. 
but I don't feel like singing it. Sing it anyway. And you start singing those songs and you start shouting unto God. And friends, what? Your action is more powerful than emotion. And your emotions were never meant to govern. They're a response mechanism. They respond to the mouth, the mind, and the action. Amen? Now you can take that home with you. Now, one of my favorite uh, expressions of joy is laughter. Anybody like to laugh, man? I'm telling you, we love to laugh around my house. It's good for you. And so, you know, in Psalm 126, you know the scripture. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those that dream. Now notice, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, man, the Lord's done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Notice their mouth was filled with laughter. Anybody like to laugh? Everybody say, ha, ha, ha. Now, now contrary to popular opinion, Reverend Mark Hankins did not create the phrase, ha, ha, ha. As a matter of fact, and I told the worship team this story yesterday, but I'll reiterate it, you probably remember it. But, you know, talking about ha-ha-ha, back in the 90s, and we're going to see a little bit of this in a minute, there was a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the area of joy, celebration. The body of Christ, man, they were just so dry. And God, you know, there are uh, moves of the Spirit where certain things are emphasized. Uh, and, and it was just in the atmosphere. You can't uh, manipulate or contrive these things, but you can always teach the Word. And then the Holy Ghost will confirm it. Like I'm already getting there and I didn't even mean to. But anyway, so we're there in the 90s talking about ha, ha, ha. And so, man, we were in one of these services. People are laid out in the floor. I mean, they are as we would term it, and not disrespectfully so, but just drunk in the Spirit. You remember on the day of Pentecost, they said, these are not drunk as you suppose. Uh, so they were just intoxicated, man, laying out, laughing, dancing. And so there's 8,000 people there this year, that particular year. It's on national television. And so I'm the worship leader. So Brother Hagen, at the end of, as it's culminating, you know, he looks at me. He says, Brother Marty, you got a song that will fit in here? Now, you've got to realize, this is the prophet, and he always told us as the team, if you sing the wrong song at the wrong time, it will kill the anointing. <laughs> now, who wants to be responsible for killing the anointing in front of 8,000 people on national television? <laughs> I didn't. So this great man of faith and power said, no, sir. He said, do you have a song? I said, no, sir. He said, well, you will as soon as you get up here. Right in front of all those people. So, man, thank God. You know that auditorium. There's a lot of steps. And all the way up, I'm saying, Jesus, 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 give me the song. Give me the song. Please. And all of a sudden, you know, sometimes you know one, sometimes you don't, and it comes up. And man, these words started bubbling up. Ha, 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 he, 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 hey. You remember that? Mr. Devil, get out of my way. Ha, 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 he, 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 hey. I resist you and you cannot stay. And it had verses. The band came up, the singers. And man, I don't know why it came out this way, but it was kind of like one of those old tavern drinking songs. <laughs> And it was ha, 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 he, 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 hey. Mr. Devil, get out of my way. And everybody's singing, you know. Oh, ha, 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 he, 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 hey. You were there. I resist you and you cannot stay. And I had verses that came up out of my spirit. And, you know, 8,000 people started singing that. And the more we sang it, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, the drunker we got. <laughs> I don't know if you know it or not, but God never intended for any one of us to go through this life sober. <laughs> he said, now don't be drunk with wine now, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen? So, everybody say, ha, ha, ha. <clears throat> you know, there's something, excuse me, there's something very liberating there's something very liberating about laughter, isn't there? 
You know, Proverbs 17, 22 says, a merry heart does good <laughs> like a medicine. <laughs> now, how many of you know God said a merry heart does good like a medicine? Did you know that even psychologists and doctors affirm that reality? Uh, Edna Junkins, who's an international speaker on the subject of, of laughter, <laughs> she is, and the benefits of laughter. Listen, this is some of her comments. She said, you know, we're a serious nation with serious people who have serious health problems. <laughs> and she said, many of them are related to stress. Laughter relieves stress. Laughter lifts us up. We stress less and we joy, enjoy other people more. La yes. Laughter allows us, she said, to be more creative. Work harder, but more comfortably. <laughs> it's contagious. Laughter creates <laughs> laughter. <laughs> she said it's universal. Everyone can laugh. Human beings are born with the gift of laughter. How many of you know you don't even have to have a sense of humor to laugh? God created laughter. There are times of holiness and awe, but there are times of joy and laughter and celebration. Think about it. Did God create laughter? When you laugh, where do you laugh from? Your head? <laughs> Is that where you laugh from? No. Where do you laugh from? You laugh from your belly. Right out of your heart, man. Because God created laughter. So she said, laughter relieves anxiety. One cannot laugh and be afraid simultaneously. It is physiologically and psychologically impossible. Isn't that awesome? Laughter shrinks the source and the size of our fears. Now, she said, laughter is a natural physical process which releases pain physically, emotionally, and is part of the body's biological drugstore. Now, I know that for a fact because I used to work in healing school. You might be here and you need healing tonight. You can get healed in a service like this. We would have at times, not every time. See, that's the problem. People try to make something every time. But at times, when the Holy Spirit would move in healing school, People that had never been, I mean, from denominational churches, never been in a service like this in their life, they would come up, you know, and we'd say, now, what, what's wrong with you? And they'd say, well, I have a t -t 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 tumor. <laughs> and they'd start getting tickled. And honest to God, they would fall down hysterically laughing. 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, just laugh, 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 laugh. Now, what's happening? Anxiety is going. Fear is going, and when you get that stress and that fear and anxiety out of the way, then that healing power can flow so much more easily. And they would get up healed, healed. So now Dr. Fry, Dr. William Fry, he is an associate at Stanford University, and he's been an expert on the physiological effects of humor for the past 30, 30 years. He said... Laughter triggers psychological changes in the body that helps ease pain. He said laughter induces the brain to release uh, catecholamine hormones, which cause the release of endorphins, the body's natural painkillers. Well, God knew that. That's why he said a merry heart is good like a medicine. In addition, Dr. Fry said, laughter like aerobic exercise <laughs> reduces the heart rate and the arterial blood pressure to below their original levels and causes the chest and the abdomen and the shoulders to contract, thus providing release from stress. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to come to church and have an aerobic exercise, did you? Woo! He said, also, a good laugh leads to coughing which helps stimulate and clean out the lungs. Amen. So God knew there's benefits to why he created laughter. So, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. Now, this is in the Bible. It said, there's a time to weep 
There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. Well, guess what? Tonight is a time to laugh. We're going to have ourselves a good laugh in here. You mean we're just going to laugh? That's right. At, at, at what? Well, I'm glad you asked me. We'll back up, Julia, to that verse. Job 5.22. Now, I understand the context of the verse. I do. But it still sets forth a good principle. You shall laugh at destruction and famine. Man, when it looks like, as we say, everything's falling apart. Destruction. When it looks like famine, man, there's not going to be enough to pay the bills. Instead of biting your fingernails and getting all full of anxiety, you know what you ought to do? Because you know, like we talked about this morning, you know the one you're trusting. You ought to say, <laughs> I used to get my checkbook out. God's my witness. I've done it. And I just lay it there and I just laugh at the zeros. <laughs> Just watch God fill it up. Hallelujah. So tonight, God wants you to leave this place, man, with your joy tank full. Everybody say full. Some of you have been running on empty. The Bible says in Acts 13, 52, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Those two go together. Man, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're filled with joy. Right? Now notice the word filled. Jesus said this too in John 15 and 11. Watch what he said. These words have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. There's something, man, about full. When I was a kid, now this is back for some of you young people you won't remember, but when I was a kid and we went to the, to the gas station with my folks, back then you had attendance, gas attendance. That was, those were the days. You just roll down the window and say, fill it up. Right? And that's what they'd say, fill it up. Now, why would they say fill it up? Because you can go a lot farther on a full tank than you can an empty one. And the same thing's true spiritually. You need to keep your tank full. Romans chapter uh, 15 and verse 13. What does it say? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Everybody say, fill it up. So, when something is full, <laughs> that means <laughs> when it's full, that means it's saturated. There's no more room for anything else. Now, if you've got an old dry sponge, think about hard dry sponge, and you put it or throw it into a pail of water. Now, what, what happens to it? It just sits on top. It's so dry, it's impervious to the water. Now, that might be you tonight. You might just feel like an old dry sponge. But guess what? You start working with that thing. You need it. You put it underneath that water and you work with it. And then it begins to absorb and become saturated. So, you might need a little kneading tonight. You might need to get under the water a little bit and work with it. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, you just draw up out of your own well. Everybody in here has the well of salvation, and you might just have to prime your own pump. You're out here at Iowa. You know those pumps, those hand pumps. You pump it a little bit, right? And at first it's like, but you keep pumping, man, and then you, you hit a gusher. So you might have to go, like they say, ha, 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 <laughs> And then you, you, what happens? You prime your pump and the Holy Ghost will take hold with you. Some of you need to get saturated tonight. Now, guys, I want you to get my video ready because I want to give you an example. I'll tell you when. But I want to give you an example of what it looks like when someone gets saturated. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, notice, uh, Paul said, Do not be drunk with wine where is an excess, but, what? Be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, do you think that he gave that example by, you know, just coincidence? No, he gave it on purpose because it's a great example. Paul said, now listen, there's two realms, the natural and the spiritual. Uh, and he said, I, I'm not an advocate of getting drunk with wine, but I am an advocate of you being filled with the Spirit. So think about in the natural. If a person is going to get drunk on wine in the natural, how do they do that? They drink until, until their blood is saturated with the substance of alcohol. And if they want to stay drunk, they just keep drinking. Now, Paul said, I want you to take that principle, but use a different substance. <laughs> drink deeply of the Spirit. Now, we understand there's different ways you can drink of the Spirit, but we're emphasizing this one tonight. And one way is you can just prime your pump, begin to drink of the Spirit with the joy of the Spirit. And you might have to prime your pump a little bit. Ha, ha, ha. But I'm going to lead you in laughter. In a minute. But I want you to see, maybe you're not familiar with this and you've never, you've heard the terminology, but you've never seen, what does it look like if somebody's saturated? Well, I'm going to show you. Now, back in the 90s, like I said, we had a lot of these meetings, about seven years of them, because that was the emphasis. You'll notice I'm, quite, this is about 20 years ago, I'm quite a bit younger in this video. My hair's a little different. But you'll get the, you'll get the picture. Now, let me tell you, Brother Hagen in this one, same thing thing you know I mean it was another meeting but boy I mean you know thousands of people just I mean saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit in that way there's different ways you can be saturated with the Spirit you understand that but this is one way and so he said to me brother Marty sing something well man I'd been drinking so much over there I was in no shape to sing so you're gonna see go ahead and roll that thing put some uh, sound to it. Turn it up a little bit. Turn it up. better now. Ooh. Well, just one dose of the Holy Ghost is not enough for me. Just one dose of the Holy Ghost is not enough for me. Oh, just one dose of the Holy Ghost not enough for me. 
Everybody sing. Just one ghost of the Holy Ghost. I did not call me. talking about don't you now you might not get that plastered but you sure can get blessed tonight amen but you got to stir yourself up a little bit so here's what we're going to do i'm going to lead you in laughter now (laughs) i want you to get in your mind's eye i want you to get in your mind's eye something you need to laugh at I don't care if it's physical, financial, relational, church-related, whatever it is. I want you to get something you need to laugh at. Been depressed, right? And on the count of three, I'm going to lead you in laughter. You say, we're just going to laugh. That's right. You prime your pump, the Holy Ghost will take hold of you. Are you ready? All right, now get, get. (laughs) I got something in my mind. All right, are you ready? One, two, three. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. 